As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Today's podcast is presented in part by the IHRA Summit Sportsman Spectacular at US 131 in Martin, Michigan. New for 2018, the IHRA Summit Sportsman Spectacular will be contested at IHRA tracks around the country with a 5K race on Saturday and a $2,500 race on Sunday. By pre-entering the Saturday race for $150, you will receive entry to Sunday's race for free. In addition, today's podcast is brought to you by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. If you're an open-minded racer with a desire to improve on the track, This Is Bracket Racing Elite can provide the tools to help you do so. And it's all that we know, it's the way you lie. Give all that we got, ride at a time. Do whatever we got to do. We never know if it's our one last ride. If you want some, come and get some. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Big Jed. Hey, Luke. What's up? Man, doing great. How about you, bud? You should be. You should be. As our listeners might imagine, we're going to be Jeg's summer door car shootout heavy today. Lots of summer door car shootout talk. We basically guaranteed last week that we would have a winner from the Jeg summer door car shootout on the podcast. Hopefully we that didn't, happens. We didn't have any idea how easy that would be. <laughs> Glad you could join us, Jed. We'll get to that. We've got NHRA results from Denver a national event, Mile High Nationals, from Sonoma Points Meet. But we're going to start things off with some discussion, and it is what everybody's talking about. It may not be for the right reasons, <laughs> but we're going to start off with the, the biggest dollar figure event of the weekend up at MIR, the No Limit Promotions event, Maryland International Raceway. And just, and honestly, that 
specific event, what happened there, is a small microcosm, in my opinion, of the the climate of today's big dollar bracket scene as a whole. It just feels like emotions are a little bit on the edge, Big Jed. Yes, it does. So, yeah, let's throw the drop in. This is, without question, what everybody's talking about, and I think we have to address it here. This week on What Everyone is Talking About. All right, Luke, obviously you, you teased it somewhat. What everyone's talking about is social media heavy right now. Uh, no Limit Promotions, which is... Drama. Drama. Danny Waters Jr. and Wesley Washington, two guys that you and I both know and respect a lot, and uh, guys that have the uh, Triple Crown 25 events from a couple different tracks out here on the East Coast. And, man, they ran into some challenging weather over the weekend at their race at MIR, and those challenges seem to have led to quite a uh, storm on social media uh, from some decisions that were made. I know you're in tune to what happened, but if you will, just kind of run down to the best of your knowledge what happened. Yeah, let's preface this by saying you and I were in the same facility over the weekend. We were a long way from Bud's Creek, Maryland. So everything that you hear is basically secondhand information, but the best of our ability what seems to have gone down was this, okay? As Jed said, Saturday's race was supposed to be 325 granders. Saturday's race rains out completely. I don't think a car even went down the track. So decisions made to combine the Saturday race and the Sunday event, which makes one $50,000 to win event on Sunday. And what the what Wesley and, and DW decided to do there was to double, initially, was to double the advertised purse, like the winner runner-up semi-money, so it's $50,000 to win, but not double the, the round money from them there down. And in doing so, they also made the buyback cheaper, and I believe the single-day entry to just enter Sunday cheaper as kind of a, a compromise. And then I guess that that didn't sit well with at least a percentage of the racers on the, on the grounds. Said, hey, you're supposed to double the whole purse all the way down. We're still paying the same entry fee for the weekend, yada, yada, yada. Well, this was presented, I would assume, to both Wesley and Danny, but specifically to Danny, in a less than professional manner from several racers that basically said in no uncertain terms, this is bleepity bleep, like this is not the way it's supposed to be, in a manner that almost you cannot be receptive to, the way that it's been explained to me. And then, as Danny put it in his in a Facebook post after the fact, there was a racer or two that could come in and calmly explain like, okay, this is why we don't agree with this. And this is why we think it's unfair. And this is probably what you should do. And when that was brought to them in a calm and understanding manner, uh, they stepped back as a team and basically changed the decision. And the way I understand it, elected to double the purse all the way down from the winner to the, the first round around money that was paid. And still at that time, left the buybacks at the reduced rate, left the single day entry at the reduced rate, basically did everything that you could ask of them and, and more in the end. So that's that. And then it ends up like they only get one round of the race in. They have to split the money anyway. Like the whole weekend is just kind of a mess other than it sounds like Thursday and Friday went great. But Saturday and Sunday, not what you want at all from anybody's yeah. standpoint, racer or promoter. And then all that kind of, I, I guess, would go away. But Danny Waters felt compelled. I, I mean, I guess he got talked down to pretty severely, you know, by some, and it's probably a very small percentage 
the vocal minority. But obviously, Danny got talked to in a way that is, you ain't supposed to talk to anybody, right? And Danny felt compelled to to make a, a post on social media saying, you know, this is what happened. And we realized that we made a mistake. We made a mistake. We, we came back and corrected our mistake. But in between, I'm like, I just never imagined that I could be talked to like that from racers that I've raced with, from people that I thought were my friends, basically, was the extent mm-hmm. of it. And then it got more dramatic after that, because shortly after that, Kyle Riley makes a post saying, you know, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen in no uncertain terms. And those of you that know the history there between Wesley and Kyle, I know that that was not an amicable split. And I thought mm-hmm. that, that had been swept up a little bit, but apparently not. So it, at any rate, it just got... It got everybody buzzing, and it is what everybody's talking about, and there's a lot of drama around it. So, Big Jed, I will pitch this to you as someone that's been on both sides of this, as a racer and as a promoter. What's your take on the whole situation? Because I know you've got some perspective. Well, I do, Lou. I try not to be too long-winded here, but obviously racers that tend to get very upset and very vocal about decisions that promoters make or made have never lived on that side of the street. It is the most challenging task to try to give your customers everything that you promised them. Uh, That seems easy, but it is challenging. And you get weather challenges and all these other things. And so then you're trying to go to plan B, plan C, plan D, wherever you're at. And there's no right answers sometimes. There really isn't. So I tend to, although I'm a racer at heart, I tend to lean on the promoter side and say that, you know, every decision is not cookie cutter and you have to just kind of adjust on the fly. And I, I tend to lean their way and, and give them the benefit of the doubt. In this situation, uh, I've actually been a promoter that has done a similar thing with the purse that Danny and Wesley decided to do. And I've been a promoter that's done it the other way where everything was doubled all the way down to the buyback. And I'll tell you, in, in our situation, Steve and I, uh, we've never gotten any flack either way. And I've certainly never been uh, called some of the names that, that sound like Danny was called by someone. So uh, I think those situations are uncalled for. Everyone should try to put themselves in their promoter's shoes. These guys, looks like, sounds like they really tried on Saturday, tried hard. And for those of you that don't understand how that works, at a premier facility like MIR or Bristol where we are, when you get the track's effort and equipment and people for a day, you pay for it, just like you had a race. It's not going to be any less expensive than if you had the race on Saturday. So that that is something you eat. That's expense that just gets absorbed, and most people don't know or understand that. It doesn't sound like their decision-making was trying to make up for that, but it didn't sound like they were running to the bank with piles of money either when you consider all of those things. So... I think uh, racers need to kind of sit back sometimes and think about why you're there. You trusted this promoter, and they made a decision that you didn't fully agree with, but get over it. That's life sometimes, and it's not like these guys are trying to cheat anybody. So uh, I hate the way this worked out, and I think sometimes as racers we need to just uh, calm down just a little bit. What do you think, Luke? 
Yeah, that's actually a really good point that you brought up, something that I honestly didn't consider, and I think most racers wouldn't consider at all, the fact that they were likely paying a track rental from Saturday's event regardless. And you you got to yeah. make that up somewhere. Yeah, I, I think largely I'll echo your sentiments. Like, we've both been on both sides of this. And as a promoter, specifically hot on the heels of an event that I promoted uh, or co-promoted last weekend, I, I certainly have more empathy toward the promoter than I used to. As I've said before here on the podcast, like, I was that snot-nosed kid that made Larry Croft lose sleep when I was growing up at Kennedale, because I complained about <laughs> everything, right? And then you, you grow up and you get, especially if you ever get on the other side of the pay window, you, it's a lot easier to empathize and, and realize that there is a lot more that goes to, into those types of decisions than, than meet the eye. And as a promoter, like part of what is so exhilarating about race promotion and also a huge part of what's so stressful about it is that as a promoter, you make a lot of decisions like you can't imagine the number of decisions that you make in a short period of time and yes. some of those are super important some of those are largely unimportant some are urgent some aren't urgent some have seemingly no or very little impact others can determine or, or determines probably not the right word at least affect the outcome of the event and decisions can at times affect how and if racers are in prize money and then can affect your bottom line as a race promoter as well and it's funny when you step back and think about it, like sometimes there's an obvious like, quote unquote right decision to make. And often there's not. Sometimes there's no wrong decision to make. Like you can't really go wrong. Sometimes there's no right decision to make. You know what I mean? Like you, you don't sure. like any of your options, but you've got to go one way or the other. And this I can say, Jed, I know you'll agree because we've talked about this. I think just about every race promoter would agree that it's impossible to be perfect. Like there's just too many decisions to be made in such a short period of time. After every single race that I've ever put on, and which is not a huge quantity, but like whatever, I've been involved in 10 event promotions, somewhere in that range. After every one of them, I can look back and see things that I could have and probably should have handled differently. Like things that I will try to do better next time. Sometimes they're small, seemingly inconsequential. Sometimes they're huge. But the point is that there's always room for improvement. Things just come up that I don't like. I tend to think that in just about anything I do, like I am meticulously prepared. Like that's just part of my makeup. There are things that you just cannot prepare for inevitably that come up in a weekend of race promotion. So, as I mentioned, I tend to have a lot more empathy for promoters, especially promoters that I think by and large try to do the right thing. And I think that's what was more shocking about this, more surprising than anything, is that specifically to Danny, this Danny Waters Jr. that we're talking about, like I just feel like that dude should have some equity built up within the racing community. Like based on reputation alone, if nothing else. Like sure. he's been doing this for a long time. I've never really heard anybody speak a bad word about him. Like, can't you trust that he's going to do the right thing? Or at least if he makes a, a bad decision, like there's not malice and intent. Like, I would trust that if I was at Danny's races. That's what I, yeah. So I, I think, like I say, it wasn't there. I'm getting this information secondhand. 
I think it's fairly clear in hindsight. Maybe not. Maybe it's not as clear as I thought after hearing you talk, Jed. But it seems like they made a mistake there. Like when they decided that they were going to double the the top end of the purse and not the round money, right? But when it was brought to their attention in an amicable way, uh, they did their best to correct it. And I think that is commendable. Like to to step back from the situation and say, okay, maybe what we're doing really isn't the best way to go about this, you know, and be able to, to retract that and say, here's a better way. Okay. Like, I think that's very commendable. Mm-hmm. And I just like, like I teased in the intro, when you step back from this and think this is not a necessarily a no limit promotions issue. Like I just think it speaks to this climate right now in big dollar bracket racing, like the whole situation. I think there's so many of these events that I just think a lot of racers are at least a little bit on edge with the amount of money that they're tying up to race week after week. And I think that that heightens tension. And then I think there are some promoters, and I'm not singling out Wesley and Danny here at all, but I think that there are promoters that have to be a little bit on edge about the amount of money that they're paying slash guaranteeing on a regular basis. Like, just in general, for everyone, the stakes have been raised. The whole climate, I think it takes some fun away from it. I think it increases some tension, and I just think you're more likely to have emotions fly off the handle a little bit. I, I know that... You're the same way, Jed. Like I know personally, I've spoke with two different promoters that are uh, have been successful. This is just within like the last week, week and a half, that are seriously considering like stopping promoting events, like just getting out of it altogether. And it's not because they're losing money. It's not because there's too much competition. Although I think most of us would agree it's a little bit oversaturated right now. Maybe it's a lot oversaturated right now. Yeah, they're thinking about getting out because it's not any fun. Because the racers make it no fun. <laughs> so can, and you know this, Jed. Like it's such. Yes. When you get on the other side of the pay window, you get to see a side of the people that you race with week in and week out that ain't always pretty. That you never dreamed was there, right? And in some cases, like it goes both ways. There's some guys that you think, man, that dude is a handful. And when you actually deal with them in a business setting. You know, and that's what this is. Like when you become the race promoter and they are your customer, that is a business setting. And you deal with them in that setting, like they are the most gracious, easy to deal with individual in the world. And then you have the people that you race with every week that you think are just awesome people that when you get in that setting, the real them comes out and you just go, wow, like I'd never dreamed. And I think that was really the crux of Danny's post. Like it's hard to deal with that when you're getting scrutinized, criticized, especially when you're just getting run down by people that you've raced with every week and specifically, you know, racers that you have considered friends. And I think that was obviously, Danny felt like it was more of a personal attack than anything. So I guess I'm rambling. I know we've talked about this probably way too long. Can I see the point of the racers that took exception to this announcement? Sure. Did they handle it appropriately? Certainly one or two. Like they, I don't care. There's no defending, personally attacking anyone, much no. less someone of, of Danny's stature, in my opinion. So I, you, I, you can't defend that. Like they're completely in the wrong. At the same time, like I do think I, I'm not just going to go completely on Danny and Wesley's side here. Like I think that there's some blame to go around. Like in, in just simply in this, 
I don't know that I was I wasn't there. Like I won't say that they did anything wrong over the course of the weekend, right? Like I say, I think that their actions and stepping back and making a making a change is commendable. But I don't see the point of taking all of this public. Like I realize that you're frustrated, and I don't know that it necessarily does any harm, but I doubt seriously that it can do any good. I don't ever remember being berated to this degree. Maybe I would feel differently if I had. But I just I don't Again, I just don't see the benefit of airing this dirty laundry, so to speak. No, there's definitely no benefit in it. You know, and I think each side tends to have some regrets when these things get made so public and, and so loud. It just, you're never going to get the best result. I've been chewed on a few times as a promoter, and I try each time as the tension is high and the, the voice is loud to say, now hold on, let's just talk to each other like adults. And I think we're going to get the best results if we do that. But when you're yelling at me, in order for me to make sure you hear me and me hear me, I got to yell back and that's never going to get the best results. So, you know, I, I think trying to be calm and, and obviously that happened somewhere along the line here, someone with a calm sensible voice came in and talked to the guys and mm-hmm. and and they changed their decision so it, people could just get their temperament right when they go to try to get a decision made or changed i think it always gets the best results when that happens and the way this one played out it obviously didn't go well for either side so no, and it's a, it's a super trying situation because obviously from a proto standpoint, you're trying to drive the track. You're trying to put on the show that you promised everybody. What, the weather's not cooperating. And from a racer standpoint, you're sitting there every time you think you're about to go race and it starts raining again. Like, that's frustrating too, right? Everybody's on edge. And if it all goes down, like say, you can't justify the this racer or two racers or handful of racers that, that – flew off the handle right that you can't justify that you can't stick by that but at the same time if you just walk away from that as a race promoter it's all done be like man that sucked but it's over everybody's gonna move on but instead you you make this post and it, it all it does is stir it all up and now it's what everybody's talking about literally on the podcast yeah thank you danny i mean we, <laughs> we got 20 minutes out of this <laughs> But like, I think this just largely goes away and is forgotten about. And now I just think it's what everybody's talking about. It's a story and it's going to last a lot longer and it's just harder to get from under. Like I, I just, maybe you're right, Jed, when you step back from this, maybe there's regret all the way around. I just think uh, as difficult as it can be to do, I think biting your tongue in this situation is probably the way to go about it. All right, Jed, with that discussion out of the way, as unpleasant as it can be, there was some on-track action up at MIR. While Saturday's race was a complete wash and Sunday wasn't much better, I believe they completed one round of eliminations, split the money amongst the winners. They did get a complete event in, and it sounded like it went super smooth and things started off great on both Thursday and Friday up at MIR. Yeah, it sounded like it, Luke, uh, unfortunately, uh, got rattled around there in the the middle and the end but started out really good alex bradford got the thursday win over brian martell uh, kicked him off really good there to start the week and friday tony Meltvet got a twenty five thousand dollar payday the first of those triple 25s was completed with his win over kevin roof and 
It looks like they got some shootouts and high rollers, low rollers type races in. Alan Glatt got a $5,000 high roller win over Chad Axford. And uh, our buddy Chris Reynolds got a $2,500 win in the low rollers race. So they did have some really good action there Thursday and Friday. And then obviously things turned into what we just spent quite a while talking about. Yeah, a gallon hat collects five grand. That's always cool. And Tony <laughs> Melt, that I mean, we, we did a little bit of research pre show here, trying to figure out who won these uh, early races. And Tony Melt, that was in a buggy. I mean, like a real buggy, not like the left steer cars. Like you call that a buggy all you want. I have driven a buggy. <laughs> buggy is a center steer altered, right? That's actually, we're going way back in time here, but that's kind of what I cut my teeth in. My father built a 32 Bantam altered solid rear suspension in our shop in Texas. And I got thrown into this thing when I was 16 or 17 years old. I actually won a little bit and won my first dragster in it. But I think, suffice it to say, it was a handful, Big Jed. And it was a long car, like to run competition eliminator and altered has to be 125 inch wheelbase. We built this one 135, you know, because that makes all the difference in the world. It handled much better. <laughs> I went like 530s, 540s in this thing. Tony Melvett dialed 504 in the final. That's all of that I want, Big Jed. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, that's good. Uh, yeah, this is, this is a center steer altered with a hat injector on it. And obviously it's good, and obviously Tony was driving it good. You don't win a $25,000 race with that kind of competition without that. It's just not the, typically the weapon of choice and not what you always see. So I thought it was pretty cool for Tony Meltved to get that win on that stage in a buggy, a true, honest buggy. <laughs> About the only guy who goes faster in something like that is Brad Plourd, so... Tony, uh, Tony he goes definitely, a lot faster than that, too. Yeah, Tony definitely getting after it. But so. Brad only has to do it like four or five times to win. This dude had to do it nine or ten. <laughs> yeah, there's some tough competition as well, I'm sure. So that was a, a good uh, start to that event. Obviously, the ending uh, got everything heated up just a little bit, but that wasn't near as hot as who we got coming up next. And we'll talk about that in our Sabre performance, Who's Hot? That was a fantastic transition. He's on fire! It's time for Who's Hot in Sportsman Drag Racing. All right, as we've done the last several shows, uh, you know, we've talked about Siebert Performance, Who's Hot, and we wanted to reach out to some of Luke Siebert's customers and get their testimonials. And Chris Zink told us we were at the ET Finals a few years ago. It was the first year I owned my Firebird, and I was having problems with the carburetor. It's a single split dominator. He said, I went and talked to Luke Siebert. He grabbed some tools and parts, came straight down to my pit and adjusted it as good as we could. But it needed smaller air blades and nobody had them. He said the next week he ordered blanks, drilled them and mailed them to me all in time for the race the following weekend. Luke also called me to make sure the engine was happy with the adjustment. It was and so was I. The following winter, he got the engine and the carb so he could rebuild both and I've been extremely happy ever since so that again from chris zinc his experience with siebert performance and luke siebert and hopefully you reach out to luke and have uh, i know you'll have similar or better but luke got us a hot driver and we, kind of a different direction went over to the uh, nhra side to class racing yeah this guy was a mile high at uh, at denver and that's been a place he's been living right 
This week's Super Performance Who's Hot goes to Chris Cheney, a Kansas-based racer who a month ago, roughly, at the NHRA Division 5 Lucas Oil event at Denver, at, uh, at Bandemir Speedway, was a finalist. I believe he was runner-up in the Stock Superstock combo on Friday night and then came back a day later and won Superstock, held up the Wally at the division race there. Again, that was one month prior. He made his return to Denver and to Bandemir Speedway for this weekend's Mile High Nationals, the race that we'll recap here momentarily, and found himself in the same position at the end of the day, or at the end of the weekend. Superstock win. Not only did he win Superstock, basically run the table undefeated in the two uh, events at Denver in Superstock competition for the year, he nearly doubled. He was uh, down to the quarterfinals in stock as well. So on the heels of that impressive performance, Chris Cheney, this week's Seabird Performance, who's hot? Yeah, great performance there by Chris. Um, obviously, I don't know how much he got out in between those appearances, but... For the purpose of the podcast, let's say that he didn't race in between. He left everything in Denver. <laughs> I say he, don't know he if stayed, that's true or not. It sounds good. Stayed really hot nonetheless. So great job by Chris. And uh, as you said, there was uh, some other action there in Denver as well. Yeah, just from a point standpoint, and again, what we're more concerned with is the uh, NHRA Pick'em Contest standpoint. Two of my guys, Austin Williams and Bradley Johnson, they didn't win Super Comp, but they both fell in the quarterfinals. And I'm going to say at the end of the year, they'll claim that. So I'll take that as a score for Team Luke. Way to go, it's Austin. Good. Way to go, Bradley. Team Luke to the front. Bud Proust, that's you, Big Jed. Team Jed, semifinalist and top sportsman, making a run at the championship himself. Drew Skillman, pro stock Drew Skillman, got the win in Stock Eliminator, one of several now Sportsman National events that he has won over the years. And the only other thing, Big Jed, that really jumped out to me from Denver was Supergas was a short field, right? It was just a five-round race. But I don't think you could go anywhere in the country and have a nastier group of four semifinalists than you had in Denver. Chris Whitfield, Kevin Moore, Michael Miller, Bradley Johnson— Okay, where you have that race, that is nasty. When the smoke cleared, it was Michael Miller getting the win, holding the Wally at the end of the day. Yeah, very difficult field to get around. Some guys that are obviously familiar with uh, the way of the land out there, too. So uh, great performances by all those guys. And, um, you know, uh, certainly congrats again out to Chris Cheney for being a Seabird performance who's hot. Big Jed, we teased it a week ago we said that we would very likely have a winner from the jeg summer door car shootout join us on the podcast little yes. did i realize how easy that would be you're here <laughs> the eighth edition of the jeg summer door car shootout was really in large part dominated by our local racers with the exception of one pesky entrant from alabama <laughs> Big Jed, you were basically one year removed from one of the worst days of your racing career. Yeah. And came back to follow that up with what I think, that after talking to you afterwards, was one of the best. So walk us through it. Uh, yeah, obviously, Luke, we talked about it on the podcast here last year. I got the Nova shoved in the right lane wall at I-57 at the 7th Jake Summer Door Car shootout. It was a really bad day. Uh, obviously, J.J., was there saw me crash it was a traumatic thing for him in the car you know you really don't uh, 
you don't think about all that. You're just trying to keep from making your crash any worse. And it was an assembly issue where I did something wrong on the car and caused it. And I actually think I mentioned in the last podcast, if at least it, I meant to, that, you know, I was trying to come back and redeem myself from having such a bad weekend last year. So obviously I get there. Friday didn't go very well. Um, made a bad decision. Second round got cracked and the confidence wasn't quite where it needed to be, but things got rolling on Saturday. Went really well for a few rounds. Got a couple of breaks that I really needed. Was uh, some poor starting line driving and uh, reacting and um, got by with it. And In your son's words? Daddy stole a paycheck that round. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was worse than twenty three times in the event, and I was never teen at all. So it was all or I, nothing, huh? Yeah, I was all or nothing. I was twenty something three times, and I was eleven or better every other time. So I got some breaks, obviously. Um, very fortunate, and then it gets down to the end, and you know everybody's loaded for bear and driving well, and. I uh, got a big break in the semis against the guy that was probably driving as good as anybody there this weekend, Tyler Bohannon. Uh, he went red on me. I was 26. Come back in the final and race Jeremy McKeggy, which is probably the guy that's turned on more wind lights at Jake's Summer Door Car shootout events than anybody. And he was 504. I was 511. And really just got lucky and dropped it just perfectly. And he dropped it a little harder and we talked about in the winter circle interview jj said you as 11 take one and i said no i was 11 get there one there was no intentions to take that whatsoever but i ended up getting there so that was all really cool been part of quite a few jake summer door car shootouts and watched a lot of winter circle celebrations but what i don't see is that narrow alley come when you turn off the racetrack it starts there's racers all the way parked to your return road to the end of the track so when you turn off there, immediately people are coming out and standing at the, the edge of the return road, you know, clapping, giving you a thumbs up. And that happened all the way back to the starting line. Now, sometimes you don't go right through the middle of the pits when you get on the return road and go back to the winter circle. Fortunately, at I-57, you cover about 90% of the racers on that return road and yeah the pits a, are one road right yeah they are and I had a ton of people standing out clapping thumbs up really excited for me uh that felt absolutely wonderful was it the largest payday i've ever earned on the racetrack no but man it, it seemed like it was the coolest by far then i get back to the winter circle area and you wave me up tell me put it up there by the by the water box in the left lane and obviously that's where it really got good jj comes up with the microphone got your 12 year old that you guys let do the the winter circle interview and uh, that was uh i don't even know what i said forgot to I say don't, a lot of things i, I should have said i don't know jed if you got the like behind the scenes on that like as much as i would like to claim that or willie would like to claim that that wasn't our idea it was uh, prior to the final round. JJ came to me and said, hey, if daddy wins, can I interview him on the starting line? That was all him, <laughs> it, which was well, we're like, yes. And I'm like, why didn't I think of that? And uh, it was it was a special moment. Like, like you said, in general, the the atmosphere at that event and how 
tight the space is, like it make, brings everybody together in some point. And obviously, you're a popular figure there and anywhere for that matter. And so to see the look on all the racers' faces and them cheering you on coming back through the pits, that's got to be pretty cool. And then we bring you up there. Obviously, your son's there waiting with the microphone to interview you. That's awesome. You're in front of, at that point, sun's still out, but still probably... 800 spectators on the left side of the track to cheer it on and make that moment even more special. Like it, I don't know if we can do it justice talking about it, but it was a really, really special moment in unique atmosphere. Yeah. Probably the most special that I've ever had. Again, not trying to uh, make it or hype it up over hype it since it was your event, but you know, having wrecked there last year, to remember vividly JJ's reaction to that and Lucas Walker getting him to me at the 300 foot mark where I was stuck to the wall and to come back on the Saturday the following year and vividly get to plant that memory in my brain uh, from the way he looked and felt and acted and did the interview. So about as special as I've ever got to enjoy. Uh, I'm, I obnoxiously played Sweet Home Alabama on my race car stereo. and uh, Listen, our podcast listeners would expect nothing less than did. <laughs> so that's uh, it's kind of become a trademark for me. But And then when you reflect back on it, you got by, I don't, I mean, I guess I beat him, but I got by Jeremy McKeggy, which... Again, the guy's unbelievable in the race car, and I somehow got around him twice during the day, and Jason McKeggy once during the day. So uh, I got a wind light over McKeggy three times during the day. So it was just really cool. It was really awesome. Track was unbelievable, and the atmosphere is unlike any other that you go to. So can't wait to get back. You beat three McKeggies in one day. That I think that's more than I've beaten my life. Um, <laughs> those guys own me. And to your point about how impressive Jeremy specifically, his run has been at the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout, there have been eight of them now. If Jeremy hasn't been to all of them, they've missed one. Like I want to say they've been to all of them. And that was his fourth main event runner-up in addition to two wins. So that's six final round appearances. In eight years of the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout. And I'll expand a little bit more on your earlier point, too. With JJ there, like, he was so revered by our audience. As we've had Willie Burnett on the show before, Willie is the voice of the of the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout, has been for several years. JJ, the last couple of years now, has come up to the tower, helped us out. He took over quite a bit this week, and uh, and he announced, and he was a huge hit. I mean, we had people coming up to the tower that don't know you, that don't know JJ. Man, that kid that's announcing, he is awesome. And then to have that final round or that post-race interview with the two of you, super special. If you haven't seen it, check out the video. It's floating around Facebook. There is an obnoxious Sweet Home Alabama that's a little bit too loud in the background, but you can still make out all the words. It's good stuff. But I'm telling you, JJ, the pessimism early in the day was worrying me just a little bit. As you know, like I've seen those of us in the tower staff know the the routine, right? Like it can be first round or semifinal round and JJ's subject to be pacing, right? I mean, JJ's into it. But I don't remember even exactly how the sequence went. Did you lose first round and buy back? I did. Okay, and then win second round. And JJ, when you won second round, JJ is staring at your tech card. And he kind of puts his head in his hands. And I'm like, JJ, 
your dad won. It's, it's all good. Man, this is starting out just like it did Saturday last year. He lost first round. He won second round. And you remember what happened next. I'm like, JJ, it's a day of redemption, right? It's not a day of repetition. We're going to be all right here. So all's well that ends well, big fella. Yeah, it was really cool. And uh, I, I certainly enjoyed JJ on the mic as well. Obviously, love Willie and his style, but it's happening to Willie every year. He's got to get more lemons. His voice, you know, he does so much announcing, and then you come out of the tower and people want to talk to you. I know I've lived it. But uh, Willie went into protection mode there for a little bit and allowed JJ some extra time on the mic. And he did get a lot of compliments. Uh, people still can't believe that he's 12 the way he does the numbers. And there's a, still a small portion of people that think. He's got some kind of secret formula to figure out the the deficit that one racer has from another on the starting line when he's saying that and how the numbers all work out. But that's all him in his head that quick doing it makes me super proud. Obviously, it's the style I use, and he does it very similar. So I appreciate all the kind words about him a lot. But, Luke, that's enough about me and JJ and whatever we did. There was some great, great performances from the attendees of the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout. And that started on Friday. Yeah, as I mentioned in the open, with the exception of your win, it was a really locally dominated event, more so than it's ever been in the past. And we've got a lot of good area racers, and most of them have had success at some point over the history of the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout. But uh, almost every other finalist was from the state of Illinois, and most of them I-57 Dragstrip regulars. And that was definitely the case Friday night. Friday's Ohio Crankshaft $5,000 pregame event. The winner was Donnie Ellis, my buddy Donnie, who would have been next in line um, to be interviewed on, on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. And let me just tell you, folks, that would have been entertaining. Um, <laughs> but Donnie got the win over Dave Angeli, two guys that have been to every Jake Summer Door Car shootout we've ever had that are basically at I-57 Drag Strip every Saturday night that they swing open the gates. Both have had success, obviously, on a weekly basis. Both have been in finals before at the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout. It was Donnie's first big, big win, his first big cardboard check. Or I think he got a cardboard check for like runner-up in the Quick 16 one year. This one had a lot more zeros on it. So kudos to Donnie. I thought the storyline from Friday, and I know, like, listen, if you don't care about the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout, sorry. Like, we're going to spend most of the show talking about it. <laughs> I thought the storyline from Friday was A, Tony Atchison. Tony was the winner of Sunday's Mosier main event a year ago, and I believe he lost to Donnie Ellis at six cars left on Friday. So when you put those together, now granted, it's a year separated, but he went like 15 consecutive rounds where he saw the wind light at the Jake Summerdor car shootout against the, the field that we have there. That's really impressive. And um, the one that I know you were close to, Lucas Walker, Put on a show all weekend, as Lucas Walker tends to do. But I thought it was really intriguing. And again, this is a little bit inside baseball, I guess, some behind the scenes. Lucas double-entered the event. And those of you that know Lucas, I think he has tinkered with the delay box at times in the past. But he's obviously one of, if not the best, footbrake racer in the country. He entered two cars that he was footbraking. And I asked him Friday morning, I said, are you going to run both cars in the no box portion because like a lot of events now we separate no box from box until we have a winner 
and the winner of the Nobox portion gets a, a significant prize. One day it's an entry to your race, the Southern Footbrake Challenge. One day it's an entry to the Nobox Nationals, whatever. And then the overall most rounds won by a bottom bulber got an entry to the Footbrake 150 down in Gulfport. So a lot of prizes for the bottom bulb guys. Yeah, and Friday got the loose rocker. Correct. Uh, entry yeah the uh, liberty classic i believe it is the labor day race up at Kilker. so lots on the table for the no bucks guys and as i asked lucas i said i assume you want to run both cars in no box we'll wait on you if you want to do that because we only have we have less than a dozen no box cars and uh he said well the way i understand that and he said don't take this the wrong way like i ain't saying i'll be able to do this but i could only advance one car into fifth round or whatever the case may be because you can run them until there's just one right I said, yeah. He goes, no, I don't want to do that. So he ran one entry with no box. He ran his second entry all weekend, which he was foot breaking, just mixed in with the box cars. Turn crosstalk off for me. I'll be good. And he went as many rounds in that entry as he did in the first one. Like just super impressive throughout. He ended up winning the, he was the no box performer of the weekend and won the most rounds among the no box cars. I believe it was just one day that he actually won the, the no box portion of the event in his black car. Uh, in his white car, he was down like 12 cars on Friday, broke it, hopped in your car, Big Jed, which I don't think he'd ever set in. No, he had not. And was down again to the final 12 cars or so on Saturday. Lost early Sunday in it, but just, and especially from our seat in the tower. My goodness, like just reckless abandon on the tree, just wrecks it. And uh, yes. super impressive. One of the most talented bottom bowlers I've ever seen. And um, I was sitting there with him when he and uh, your chassis man, Jeff Hayes, uh, said that he had he was pulling one of the braces out of the body uh, with the way the white car was leaving. It was causing it to twist and it wasn't a quick fix. It was going to take a while. And I said, look, you know, just jump in mine. I mean, whatever happens, happens. And uh, he jumped in it, and we needed big tires on the front on Saturday because we were round-tracking that baby and (laughs) uh, taking the return road hot and trying to get back. And, man, he he just, uh, as you said, a phenomenal, phenomenal talent behind the wheel. And um, he went a lot of rounds in my car, which is uh, quite a feat because, um, like I said, he'd never been in it before. So it is a little different than what he's used to. Yeah, and on top of all of that, for the second consecutive season, Lucas Walker won the Jegs Wheelie Wagon Contest, which was a lot of fun in itself. Thankfully, for everyone involved, not quite as exciting as last year's win, (laughs) but still impressive. impressive. Yeah, that's what he told me. He said, uh, you know, that's pretty cool. Both of us got in the wall last year, and neither one of us got in it this year, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> good point good Much for us. better weekend <laughs> so obviously moved into saturday luke and uh we we talked about uh obviously the win that i got over jeremy mckeggy but man that was just really kicking the action off as it got really cool under yeah, the believe, lights there at i-57 i believe your final ran off about seven o'clock and that kind of got us into for lack of a better term the the show portion of the event where we had the the spectator bleachers packed really the whole spectator side of the racetrack packed to watch the nitrous express quick 16 to watch the wheelie contest to watch the burnout contest and to watch what has really become the staple of our event the the apd king of illinois which is a basically just a high roller race it's a 500 entry fee 100 payback winner take all and it blew me away this year big jed we had just under 200 entries that actually came in the gate uh, we limited the field to 200 this year i think there was 194 somewhere in there that that 
raced on Saturday, 52 of those, more than 25%, ponied up $500 <laughs> cash yeah. and made this the biggest king of Illinois that we have ever had. $26,000 in the pot. We advertise it winner-take-all. As you might imagine, it typically gets split up late in the event. This year was later in the event than most, but it did get cut up. But it made for an exciting and entertaining Saturday night at the racetrack. When the smoke cleared at that, it was, again, one of our locals, Ken Jones, who actually we could make a good argument for this week's Seabird Performance Who's Hot. Ken Jones not only won the biggest payout in i-57 drag strip history at his home track we'll just say that he won twenty six thousand dollars you and i know that he didn't actually win twenty six thousand dollars but he got close to that he won the lion's share of twenty six thousand dollars with the win over bobby stevens who is still smiling but bobby stevens would be smiling if he lost first round bobby stevens (laughs) ken to give a little bit of background if listeners may remember the july 3rd race when i was a little bit bent out of shape because i lost at 4 30 in the morning with three cars left Ken Jones won that race. That was a five grander. That was on a Tuesday night slash Wednesday morning. Like three days later, Ken Jones won a, it was either $2,500 or maybe a $5,000 to win event at Harrisburg, Accelerator Raceway down the road. So this was his third huge, big final in the last three weeks. All of them, he went on to win. So uh, Ken Jones getting it done. The Nitrous Express Quick 16 was a great show. Saw Josh Ludke get the win at the wheel of his buddy Josh Harper's uh, Camaro Roadster. He won the Quick 16 over Rob Maservi. Maservi's an awesome story. He's been coming to the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout for the last six years. He has won the J- the Long Distance Award, the Long Tow Award, for six consecutive years. He <laughs> is from Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada. And I should be able to tell you this because I think I pulled it up on MapQuest, like just to be sure. Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada is not close to Benton, Illinois at all. <laughs> he makes the tow every year. He is not only the one that drives the furthest, he is almost always the one that goes the fastest. He was low qualifier in the Quick 16 in what looks like a big, wide, heavy Chevelle. And I don't know how much nitrous it has or how much nitrous it uses. But it always uses enough to get to the pole. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's got enough. It's got enough. So that was exciting. It was low qualifier. This year advanced to the final round before he fell to Ludke. And if the, that name sounds familiar, Josh Ludke was a semifinalist at the Million Dollar Race. I believe the year that Nathan Martin won. Kind of ran the table that whole weekend. I guess that's his biggest claim to fame, but he's a regular fixture in the late rounds at big dollar bracket events across the country. This time was his first time sitting in the seat of that Camaro Roadster and proved his mettle, driving it to the win in the Quick 16. Yeah, and the Quick 16, the Nitrous Express Quick 16, Luke, was, uh, you know, that was um, obviously a lesser payday than the APD King of Illinois, but that is a, that's an exciting race in itself. I, I think you had six or seven out of that 16 nearly half the field was in the fours i believe so uh, i can't remember exactly how it fell but yeah that's about uh, right the bump was in the 520s plus this year we tied our our 500 frisbee toss to the quick 16 so that always made it a little bit more entertaining as well yeah that was really cool and so we got a really fast field there and a fast winner and then we got the king of illinois winner and all in the middle of that not necessarily in the middle but towards the end when there was a little bit of downtime uh, called up the jegs wheelie wagon contest which was lucas walker and travis eaton and both those guys did some really big and cool wheelies with lucas getting that trophy and that win in the wheelie wagon 
contest and then the Mickey Thompson burnout contest. My goodness. Now <laughs> This is my favorite part of the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout, without yeah, now, exception. This comes from second round of the, the main event. So we're we're on the mic, splitting some time, and everybody that gets the mics egging everybody on, come on. And it, it was kind of quiet for a while. It started you know, slow. Yeah, maybe uh, we, about halfway through the round. and then I got to credit Corey Kugel with kicking things off. Now, Corey's got a 720, like, nine-inch tire Mustang. And it had been a quiet round, and I was really disappointed. And I was telling you we needed to up the ante. Like, these, obviously, a set of tires isn't enough. I'm not <laughs> getting these guys excited about doing a burnout. This is not what I want. And uh, Corey Kugel got it going. Corey Kugel lit up the hides on that Mustang, held it in the water for a good I don't know, 15, 20 seconds, got everybody's attention, uh, and then burned out past the starting line, which is cool. I think on nine-inch tires, you could probably go as long as you want. But that got things started, right? It did. And, and then Jason McKaggy just went, like, if Corey Kugel went to the moon, Jason McKaggy went to, like, Jupiter, right? <laughs> yeah. And then immediately behind him was announcer Willie who tried his best to do the same thing, didn't quite have as much power, like did a really long, smoky burnout. So you had back-to-backs that just get the whole place rocking, right? Yeah, Willie even rolled the window down, you know, uh, yeah, at, 200 feet out. He's kind of yeah. getting the crowd stirred up. That was cool. It was great. And then somewhere in the midst of that, you got Charlie Hammer, which admittedly, Charlie's got an unfair advantage because he's in a cutlass that goes like 490s, got a lot of power. Lots. But I'm pretty sure Charlie wanted to go to the finish line. <laughs> under power he got a little bit crossed up about 300 feet and discretion took the better part and he, he lifted but it was impressive nonetheless and that just got it going then and from there on it seemed like every other pair was trying to burn the tower down and it was awesome yeah and then uh ricky boggs had two entries and he did it in both of them yes, I mean, he, he, did. he was going to make sure Meanwhile, he got his now, name in the conversation <laughs> ricky and his son jesse were double driving two cars right they had two cars and four entries and Ricky told his son steadfast twice, you cannot do a burnout. And Ricky came back around and tried to blow both of them up, <laughs> which I thought was awesome. Um, yes. <laughs> it was. And keep in mind, like this is we talked about this last week. This is not like a burnout competition qualifier in and of itself. This is second round of the main event. Seventy five hundred dollars win. Like this is the race you came for. Yeah, and, and these, this tomfoolery and these shenanigans going—it was great and noteworthy. So at I fifty-seven, you—I mean, the interstate is basically nearly running through the pits. It is running right along parallel with the racetrack, coming back up track the lane that we're by, and the wind is blowing from left lane to right lane and into you a little bit. So it's kind of just angled back at you. So yeah. when those guys really turned it loose. The interstate was just We are foggy. smoking out the interstate. <laughs> it's yes. fogged over. So, I mean, it was just an extra cool element to the whole thing. And when it was all said and done, Ricky Boggs and, and Jason McKaggy were the two chosen finalists. And they come back up and uh, took another shot at it for the crowd and put on one heck of a show. Oh goodness. I, Here's the, the bad part about having a, a two or last year we had a three man runoff for the burnout contest. The issue here is that it's almost inevitably, at least in my experience, decided by the coin flip. Because whoever goes last ain't losing. Yeah. In this particular case, like Jason McKaggy, I, I think I'm comfortable saying, like, did the better burnout. He went first. And it was incredible. Like, 
smoked out the whole racetrack and the interstate and everything else. Like blistered the tires. Yeah, had, did the most chunks, damage. There was chunks missing out of his tires when it was all said and done. Awesome burnout, right? And so that sets the bar for Ricky Boggs. Like you got to go up and outdo that, right? Yeah. And and Ricky, in his defense, like I'm not saying he did notably worse burnout. Like he may have matched it. He had some help. He had a friend spraying some water underneath the tires, <laughs> which, you know, you, you could question the ethics of that, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but regardless, like, that's the one, because, because we determine this by fan vote, and it's just whoever they're louder for, who are you going to scream more for? Well, almost inevitably, you've got recency bias, right? Because the last one you saw, you're going to get a little bit louder for you. Like, you're more fired up about it. Yes. And I think that's how this went down. Ricky Boggs get the win. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. I don't have to. I didn't make the decision. Both of them, like, I feel like I feel like we do need to up the ante. A, a set of tires for that tomfoolery, not enough. I'm not sure 10 grand would be enough. But we, we need to up the ante for next year. So we're going to work on that. <laughs> yeah, there's some, there's some damage that's in there somewhere. And it, it'll find it at some the, point down the, the road. The best part was McKay's in second round because I'm telling you, it floated the valves long enough that something ought to be broke, right? <laughs> yes. And then he stages up and he's like three thigh under. And I'm like, wow. You know, I'm like, yeah, I really expected him to ring it up two tenths above. It's got to be something broken there. <laughs> you can't yeah. put it on the rug. Because that, that's what he even told me. You know, like, you tend to roll into the throttle. He says, I got to the point where I was trying to roll further. I realized I was on the floor. And I'm like, well, I guess that's all I got. <laughs> and it's just still burning. <laughs> uh, and before all those champions were crowned, uh, between my win and, and all those other big wins uh, the night, the great folks at uh, Vintage Trailers, and uh, Scott Bailey and the folks at I-57 got together and cooked us an awesome barbecue meal. So uh, every, all the racers were fed and uh, very well nourished. So that was a really wonderful day on Saturday there at, uh, at I-57. You're telling me I'm still living off the leftovers. <laughs> the benefits of race promotion right there, Big Jim. Yeah. And re- real quick, Luke, I want to mention that uh, the sweet tea was unbelievable. Uh, you know, when I get when I get into a northern state, although it is southern Illinois, I start, <laughs> you appear with the Yankees and you get worried about the sweet start tea. Worrying about the sweet tea, it was unbelievable. <laughs> Very well done. <laughs> All right, let's freak. Let's let's put a bow on the Jag Summer Door Car Shootout with Sunday's Mosier main event. Dave Angeli, once again, again, one of our locals, was in the final Friday night, returned to the final round Sunday, and uh, did himself one better and got the win over Brett Williamson. Brett, another Illinois kid, but from the other end of the state. Brett's from up north. He's from Rockford, Illinois, which is about as far away from Benton, Illinois, as you can get and still be in the state. But I think what was most impressive about Brett's performance, he did turn it red in the final. Brett, much like Lucas Walker, was off the bottom all weekend, and in Brett's case, he and his father were double driving the car and something to do with the um, auto start and arming it with CO2. Like they couldn't make it work without the box in the car. And his dad needed one of the auto start feature. So Brett just said, look, my delay box is going to be in the car. I know I can't run with the no box guys. Can you turn crosstalk off for me? Because I'm better off the bottom. And I looked in the car on a couple of occasions and he had like 10 in the delay box. Hit the bottom all weekend and was nasty, 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 specifically on Sunday. Like, I don't know. I have the run sheets in front of me. I'm not sure that he was worse than like 12 in nine rounds of car, eight rounds of competition before the final. Really, really talented young man uh, and went deep in Saturday's race. And I believe he lost at 11 cars on some sick run. Like, he was like 11 take four off the bottom. 
and then drove to the final round on Sunday, again, off the bottom. It was kind of the story of Sunday. And the personal story for me, Daddy Jack, my father-in-law, <laughs> advanced to the semifinal rounds in Sunday's $7,500 main event before losing to Brett. Um, so that was cool from a personal standpoint. Yeah, really cool. And that did wrap up a great weekend at I-57. Um, you guys did a, a wonderful job, the staff there at I-57. Uh, on top of everything, as always, track was excellent. It was really hot on Friday, cooled off a little bit for us the rest of the weekend. But even in the heat, it worked great. And all around, Luca, uh, you guys have to be very pleased and um, excited about what next year brings because I'm sure it's going to be wonderful again. We've got, and I know this sounds like a broken record. I know I'll say a lot of the same things you said after the World Foot Break Challenge, but we've just got an incredible staff. It starts at the top with Scott and Leanne Bailey and just their entire team. My wife, who is the unsung, unsung hero of our event that does so much behind the scenes. And then just every every staff member that we have, and it's grown every year as the event grows. And, and every year I'm like, how did we do this without so-and-so, you know, when we add on another piece of staff, but everybody from the youngest to the oldest, from the least experienced to the most experienced, they, our staff takes so much pride and so much ownership in making that event what it is. It's unbelievable. It's an atmosphere that I could not cultivate and couldn't even really dream of on my own. But the, the stake and the pride that everybody has in it, I think, is what makes it special. Yep, I would totally agree with that. And um, JJ and I can't wait to get back in 2019. So. Luke, that was uh, just one of a few great events that we'll get a chance to, to give a review of. We'll move us to Oklahoma Summer Nationals. Yeah, Ardmore. I'm sure um, you've been there. I have been there. Um, I, got, I got thrown out of Ardmore once in my youth. <laughs> I didn't have a driver's license. And they didn't like that. But it was a different time, different owners, completely different racetrack from what I understand it. But they had a huge race last week in Oklahoma Summer Nationals, highlighted by what I thought was kind of a cool event, something that Brad Young put together on the side, this King of Texas Dragster Shootout, which was basically like nominations, essentially, of like the baddest 16 dudes in the state of Texas. Now, granted, the race was in Oklahoma, which is kind of odd, <laughs> but it is just over the border, right? literally just across the state line in Oklahoma. In that 16-car shootout, saw Tanner Thorpe get the win over Kurt Harvey. Tanner, another young racer from West Texas that has quickly made a name for himself and actually wasn't a part of this 16-car field. It was like a last-minute alternate when uh, Bart Nelson broke in the time run for the event. So they shoved Tanner in there, and next thing you know, Tanner's hoisting the trophy and holding the cash at the end of the day. Two 10-grander, I'm sorry, a 10-grander and a 5-grander off the top highlighted the action. The 10-grander uh, was the peep show. Peeps Pennington getting the win over Jeff Heffler. If you have been around Texas or Oklahoma or the South Central part of the, part of the country bracket racing and you don't know those two names, <laughs> you really haven't been paying much attention at all. So Peeps with the win over Jeff Heffler and the Sunday $5,000 Super Pro race was another two very recognizable names, specifically in that part of the country, really nationally at this point. Nathan Martin getting the win over Hunter Patton. Big Jed, I know your proclivity for the bottom ball racers. I will let you take it from here. I don't know what that word means, but I do know take it from here. And, I don't uh, think I used it correctly, so let's just rush way, over it. If, if you don't know about Jeff Heffler, he's been doing it as long as Peeps has been alive, uh, and then some. So that, that guy's uh, definitely made his name in racing. But on the footbrake side, they had $3,000 
on uh, Saturday and 3,000 on Sunday. Eric Works got the win over Max McLaughlin on the Friday foot break. They did have a Super Pro 64-car shootout where Kevin Thorpe got the win over Donnie Fowler. The foot break shootout was uh, Robbie Martin over Kenneth Hillen, and all that was on Saturday. They wrapped up with the Sunday foot break 3K and Mad Max got the win this time. So a nice performance from him over the weekend over his very good friend and uh, a former uh, secret performance who's hot racer, Jake Howard, who's just remained on fire. So I'm sure that was a great final round for those guys. Luke, we'll move from Oklahoma to New York. You don't hear us say that very often here, but uh, uh, Esta Safety Park had a couple of the twin 10Ks there at uh, Cicero, New York. And uh, the junior winner there, or, or excuse me, the, win, the 10K winner there was uh, Gary Roth Jr. Uh, getting a Saturday win. Jeff Krasinski from Shemokin, Pennsylvania. He's top 10 name and city every time he's at the racetrack. Got the high roller door car win. Brandon Barker got the high roller dragster win. And Mike LaRose uh, got the low roller win there. So Sunday finalist. Had to split due to rain, uh, and that was uh, Mark Goyette and David Catherman. Good event there, looks like, at Esta Safety Park in New York. Good to see the state of New York getting some big-dollar bracket racing in. Absolutely. From Oklahoma to New York to the wine country of Northern California and the Division Seven Lucas Oil Series event at Sonoma Raceway. This will wrap up the results portion of today's podcast with some big, significant uh, movement in the NHRA points chase, and really, more importantly for us, Big Jed, in our NHRA Pick'em contest, everybody got a little something out there at Sonoma. The biggest, without question, is uh, our buddy Kevin McKenna. Team Kevin, Justin Lamb decided to attend a NHRA division race in 2018. <laughs> that he's not chasing. <laughs> right, that, that, that championship that he's not chasing. And uh, basically maintains his perfect score to date with another Superstock victory, this time over another multi-time world champion, Jimmy DeFrank, in the final round. I've been saying it for weeks that there is nobody not named Justin Lamb or Anthony Bertozzi that is going to win the Superstock National Championship. If Justin has one more weekend like this, I can reduce that list to one. He's trying <laughs> to run away with this thing, and it's looking like... Uh, more and more every day, this is going to be at least three national championships in a two-year span for Justin Lamb. Yeah, nasty. I uh, I got on the board myself, Brian McClanahan, Team Luke, the win in Stock Eliminator. Just continues what has been a super impressive start to the season, really, for the McClanahan family. Um, but within NHRA points, specifically Brian, he doesn't have the stranglehold on this stock thing that Justin Lamb seems to have on Superstock. But he's put himself in really good position to hopefully score a win for Team Luke. You're going to need that because my man, Paul Nero, is wrecking the top dragster field. Yes, he is. Uh, Paul's team Jed, and he got a semi on top dragster. And I know we talked a little bit about it uh, pre-show, Luke, but I think you said that's uh, officially a 13-round lead for Paul in the top dragster category. He is currently 128 points ahead of second place Al Kenny, who they have both claimed the the minimum allotment of races. So it's not like uh, Al gets a full 30-point claim in there. It's 10 points around. 
He's almost 130 points behind. <laughs> and to, to your point, Paul Nero, at this point, and he still has races to improve, uh, he was last year's number two finisher um, nationally. He has accumulated 608 points thus far in 2018. And specific to Top Dragster, because they have less rounds that they can go, and they also have less events that they can go to than the typical sportsman category, um, 608 points is a monster score, and he is subject to improve that. Just to, to back that up, the Top Dragster category, this is only the fourth year that has been a nationally contested points category. In 2015, Marco Abruzzi won the championship with 600 points. Again, Paul Nero has 608. It's July. Um, in 2016, <laughs> our friend of the podcast, Jeff Strickland, had 610 points uh, Paul Nero is, to win the world championship. Paul Nero is two points back of that. It's July. A year ago, Lynn Ellison won the world championship with 568 points. Paul Nero has eclipsed that by four rounds, and it's July. Um, it looks pretty good. For Mr. Nero, and that is concerning to me because I feel like Superstock, Team Kevin, and Top Dragster, Team Jed, are all but foregone conclusions at this point. So I would like to see Brian McClanahan get the double this weekend. <laughs> go ahead and go ahead and win the national too. That make me feel a little better better about this. I feel like I got to get one on the board. <laughs> Let's talk Top Dragster for a minute, Big Jed. I didn't have this on the show notes. This is not. This is. Don't take this as a personal attack on Paul Nero. Paul Nero is an excellent racer, and holds his own like at every bracket race I've ever been to. Like he is most likely going to be the world champion, and is very deserving of it. But Paul and everyone on the West Coast are at really. Let's be honest. A significant advantage in top dragster. Like this is an issue with the current system that needs to be righted. All the fields out there are forty-eight cars. All the fields in Division 6 and 7 are 48-car fields, or it will take up to 48. Everywhere else in the country, there are 32-car fields. So that's a five-round race versus a six-round race. There's more points mm. on the table on the West Coast. And, again, nothing take nothing away from Paul Nero, but I will use him as an example. He is driving a car that is not a slow car by any means. I think I think he goes 690s. He was going 70s in Vegas, right? So he's faster than that at sea level, certainly. That's a car that won't qualify at a lot of the races in the in the other parts oh, yeah. of the country. That is what our Division Three top dragster crowd would look down their noses at and call a bracket car, right? <laughs> he's taken it's nothing against him. He's taken advantage of the rules as they're presented on the West Coast, but it is a different class on the West Coast than it is at other parts of the country. And I just think uh, somehow or another that needs to be righted. Whether they're forty-eight car fields everywhere, whether they're thirty-two car fields everywhere, like this is not. It's not a fair system, and I'm not taking anything away from Paul. I mean, he's doing it. Like he's All you can do is win the rounds that you stage for, and he has absolutely done that. But this is an issue that it's been like this since day one in Top Dragster and Top Sportsman. There seems like there's got to be a better way to do this. Yeah, you would think um, from national some, perspective. somebody with some power over the um, rules and regulations there would, would try to figure something out that would – even the playing field for those guys, but I'm glad they'll do that next year or sometime I'm after sure that. Are. I'm sure because, you are. Because uh, I'm, I'm very happy with Paul's performance in racing bigger fields. Speaking of top dragsters, and speaking of us moving from New York to Sonoma. Hey, another uh, fantastic transition. You're <laughs> on it today, Big Jeff. Uh, how about the winner in top dragster? Uh, our man, friend of the podcast, and just all around friend, Peter Biondo got the win. Four take eight in the final. 
Guy don't he don't even race, Luke. I mean, <laughs> he don't even race. He might go four or five times a year, but he's just always in the middle of it. Just always that, in the mix. That's what's so impressive about this. Like you look at this and go, man, that's an impressive box score. Shocker, right? Peter Biondo was like impressive in victory. <laughs> His worst slide in six rounds is fifteen. He was double oh four of the six. As you said, four take eight in the final in a car that I, he's driven before, but what, three times? You know, in, in Lamb's yeah. blown top dragster that Kyle Seipel typically campaigns. I don't know. I mean, as Dan Fletcher's said in the past, like he is bracket racing Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what else you can say. Like, it's just it, but it never ceases to impress me. Yeah, nor does it ever cease to impress me. I mean, this guy's unbelievable. And he he sent me a text Saturday evening uh, with a screenshot of JJ interviewing me, and I guess he saw it on Facebook or whatever, and didn't even bother to tell me. You know what? I I guess he didn't win that till Sunday, so that must have been it. But either way, yeah. I mean, uh, he is Peter Biondo. I'm sure he realized that he was going to win long before it started. <laughs> but I didn't know. <laughs> but that was really cool, and seeing him and and obviously. Obviously, his great friend and, and co-promoter of the spring fling and fall fling brand, Kyle Seipel, that runs Sonoma, stand there with him in the winter circle, handing him the, the trophy, the check, whatever, had to be a very, very special moment for him as well. Speaking of special moments, uh, the Super Comp Final was all Team K&N, mm-hmm. uh, some people you're very familiar with. Yeah, my boy, Big Steve, K&N Steve, Steve Williams got the win over Madison Witten, and Madison is basically uh, someone that he's taken under his wing in the Super Comp category, so she drives a car that's painted up the same way as Steve's, they share information, he's basically mentored her through the process, so for Steve and Madison to meet up in the final, and for Big Steve to end up getting the win, pretty cool story. Big Jed, this may be one of the longest podcasts in Sports and Drag Racing podcast history. Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> we have Jake Summer Door Car Shootout to talk about. We have drama in the uh, in the Big Dollar Racing community. We had a lot of stuff to unpack here. So I guess now let's try to wrap up the rest of this. Let's pay a couple bills. Let's get out of here. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available. Subscribe. And you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. How can This Is Bracket Racing Elite help you become a better racer? We have experienced instructors, for one, myself included, for you to model. And I've made just about every mistake possible in my 20 plus years of racing. You can learn from them rather than doing it the hard way. You know, trial and error. Modeling can significantly accelerate the learning curve. We'll provide the appropriate trainings, drills, and exercises to enhance your game. Now, you've got to do the work, but we provide the tools. And best of all, the group provides accountability. We don't just suggest what to do. The group members will motivate and challenge you to follow through. Elite is essentially its own check and balance. So if you are interested in reaching and expanding your potential on the racetrack, This Is Bracket Racing Elite can help. Check it out at thisisbracketracing.com. In addition, this week's podcast is presented 
by the IHRA Summit Sportsman Spectacular. It's happening August the 17th through the 19th, and this event will provide something for everyone. There's Ironman, there's big checks for the winners, there will be round prizes, contingency, a golf cart race, racer appreciation cookout. Now, the main event will be Saturday's $5,000 to win race, while Sunday will pay $2,500. It's at US 131, and it will also feature the 12 flat and slower quarter mile street class, which is uh, certainly to be a hit. Both races allow electronics and include pre-entry. Again, it's only $150 for the US 131 event. And that will run until August the 6th. Pre-enter now at IHRA.com. Honey, where are we racing next week? It's time to discuss next week's major events, news, updates, releases, and announcements. It's what's on tap. Hi, Luke. Got some races on tap. Uh, looks like a little bit of everything. Again, some bracket racing and some uh, NHRA-style racing. But uh, we'll start out with the 660 Top Bowl of Nationals at Keystone Raceway Park. That's Mark's home track in New Alexandria, Pennsylvania, which is, in essence, Pittsburgh. We got the Triple Tens up there, the 660 Top Bowl of Nationals, 310K events for the Super Pro Racers. And uh, looks like a double event on the NHRA side at uh, Heartland Park, Topeka, the Lucas Oil Division 5 race will be um, double the fun this year. Oh, Austin, Austin, I really need a good weekend. Yes. yes Austin Williams to the lanes, Heartland Park, Topeka. Uh, I feel better about my pick'em contest already. All right. Cool. <laughs> and uh, the guys will get back to Sonoma. They just had uh, a huge divisional. By the way, shout out to Kyle Seipel for what he turned that into. Didn't get a chance to mention that earlier, but my goodness, that was a racer-friendly weekend at Sonoma. Kyle turned that thing into something really special for the racers in a very short period of time, along with NHRA guys, I'm sure. Everybody, a team effort, but that was really cool. But they got the Toyota NHRA Sonoma Nationals this weekend in Sonoma, California. Yeah, we mentioned that last week. I hope the track operators everywhere take notice of what can and probably at least to some extent should be done with most divisionals across the country. Uh, take a page out of Kyle's book. Yep. So, guys, that wraps us up. This episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast uh, has been a long one, but it's been awesome and it's coming to a close. I want to say thanks to the great sponsors that we have. The IHRA Summit Sportsman Spectacular, that's about to happen at US 131. Go support that event. Those guys are trying really hard. Make sure you get out and support their efforts. Uh, Luke Siebert, Siebert Performance. I want to thank Luke again for bringing us Who's Hot this week. Just a, a wonderful guy. Puts out a lot of great, happy customers out there. So give Luke Siebert at Siebert Performance an opportunity to earn your business. And, of course, Luke's This is Bracket Racing Elite, which is helping racers all across the land. It's easy to uh, get involved in that as well. Just reach out to Luke and figure out how you can be a part of This is Bracket Racing Elite. And, uh, Luke, I see a, a list of shout-outs here. I'm very excited. I'm glad you are. I want to shout-out, uh, I want to say, like, inconsiderate racers everywhere, but that's not the case. I want to shout-out the vocal minority 
that like just went way out of line and and dw too for giving us something to talk about i think we spent the last the the first 30 minutes of the podcast on this crazy subject Um, so thanks for giving us some fodder some material and what otherwise might have been a slow week shout out to buggies everywhere specifically tony meldbelt and wherever, like whoever, I assume it's wadded up now. Whoever's got my old buggy or my dad's old buggy. The last time I saw that thing, it was going to like Washington State. And the dude was going to run like the original top dragster, like whatever they called it, top comp or something. So it probably didn't survive for long. But if it's still out there, I'd love to see that car again. Got a lot of history. Shout out to Donnie Ellis and to Dan Northrup. The reason that I shout those two out is that prior to Friday night, I had never seen anyone get as jacked up inside a race car, like pre-race, as Danny Northrup. I can't say that anymore. Donny Ellis did it, and he's literally twice the size of Danny Northrup, which made it that much more entertaining. <laughs> so shout out to both of those guys. Shout out to Gallon Hat. Shout out to Bobby Stevens. He's smiling somewhere. Shout out to Jeff, Jeff Krasinski. Oh, my goodness. I can't even get it out, Jeb. It's a top 10 name. I can't say it. <laughs> Jeff Krasinski. That's what I meant to say. Jed, shout out to you for the ultimate wreck and go at I-57 drag strip a year later. Shout out to JJ. Awesome job over the weekend. It was a pleasure having you guys there. Seriously. Shout out to Willie. Announcer Willie. Willie Burnett, a former guest of the podcast. Willie will never get any love as long as JJ is involved. That's just part of the deal. He did awesome (laughs) Shout out to Vintage Trailers, to Scott and Leanne Bailey at I-57 Drag Strip for the barbecue that I'll be eating for a week. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Shout out to Justin Lamb, who, although scored a win for Team Kevin, and shout out to Kevin McKenna, by the way. Justin's my buddy. I'm happy for him. I actually got a one-word text Sunday night that just said, sorry. Appreciate that, Justin. I'm still rooting for you, even though I got Anthony. And even though you told me in February not to pick you because you weren't going to chase it this year. (laughs) Shout out to Justin Lamb. And shout out to Paul Nero. Paul, I love you. I'm not trying to single you out. I'm just saying, like, why is it more rounds to win on the West Coast than the East Coast? Nothing to do with you personally. You're the man. (laughs) And I'm out. out. Yes, shout out to Paul Nero for me. I will double that shout out, my friend. Thank you, uh, Paul, for all you're doing for Team Jed. Uh, Guys, tell us what you think about the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Message us right there on our Facebook page. You can uh, tell us whether you like it, whether you don't, what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, but hopefully it's all good. But nonetheless, whatever it is, uh, send us your uh, your take back or your feedback excuse me on uh, what we're doing or you can at either luke or myself on twitter luke is at luke bogacki b-o-g-a-c-k-i and i am at jp11x and uh, it was a long show but it was full of awesomeness and we appreciate you sticking around if you're still listening and we hope to have you tune in again with us next week banging on the door bump 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 until i get it in attitude like i am already winning Jed, it's a, oh, all right, we could leave that over. <laughs> no, my fault. I should let you talk every now. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. 
led by knowledgeable professionals. Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100-plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th. <laughs>